Well, hello and welcome to Between Movements podcast episode 13, where I am going to be talking more about the topic of classical improvisation. And today I'm excited because I'm actually going to be reading the first chapter of my dissertation, which is linked in the description below. For those of you who are listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I'm going to be including the visual diagrams on my YouTube channel, so head over to josh.v.music if you want to see some of the charts and things that will be included. It's basically a little mini book I wrote on the topic of classical improvisation. It's about 40 pages in length, so it's not a super long book or anything, but it, it has a nice overview. I'm going to explain certain concepts as I go through. And I go into historical examples, some of the history of improvisation, how it was taught. I include some scientific studies that actually did brain scans on both performers and audience members, gauging the difference between brain activity in memorized versus improvised music, some performers who, who still use improvisation, and most importantly, what can be done with modern institutions, the modern university system, and how it can make its way back to including improvisation as part of the curriculum for music students. So the dissertation is entitled The Rise and Fall of Piano Improvisation in Western Classical Music Performance, Why Today's Piano Students Should Be Learning to Improvise. And this was prepared for my Doctoral of Musical Arts in Piano Performance. Chapter 1, The Introduction, Significance, State of Research, and Historical Overview. Part 1, Introduction. Improvisation is an art form which has arguably been present since the existence of music itself. Inventing music on the spot, like spontaneous speech, is a common expression of artistry throughout history and across musical boundaries. While improvisation has maintained its importance in jazz, classical organ music, and the music of many Eastern cultures, this dissertation will focus on the presence of improvisation as acceptable performance practice within the tradition of Western classical music. At several points in history, this musical tradition was encouraged and even expected to be a regular part of a musician's life, and yet in the classical musician tradition of the 21st century, improvisation is rarely, if ever, heard from the concert stage, nor is it regularly included in the general education of the conservatory student. Part 2. Significance. In his article, The Decline of Improvisation in Western Art Music, in interpretation of change. Robin Moore states that his paper confronts the puzzling fact that improvisatory performance has ceased to interest a majority of conservatory-trained musicians, despite the fact that the performers of European art music in previous centuries exhibited considerable interest in improvisation, and continued to consider it an important musical skill until at least 1840. He goes on to pose the question, if the great masters like J.S. Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Johannes Brahms, Franz Liszt, Robert Schumann, Felix Mendelssohn, and countless others regularly improvised and trained their own students to improvise, then why do so many modern performers completely neglect the art of improvisation? This is an important question to ask, since the answer to this question yields profound implications for an entire culture of musical education and performance. For over a century, classical music improvisation has been the exception to the norm because this question has not been asked enough and has not been sufficiently answered. 
Many universities, conservatories, and music schools do not include improvisation as part of the required curriculum, which is a deviation from what was historically seen as an essential part of public performance. Furthermore, the lack of improvisational instruction among music schools violates the requirements of the National Association of Schools of Music, a major determiner in music curricula across the board in the United States for institutions of higher education. NASM is acknowledged by the Council for Higher Education Accreditation as the program supplier for degree and non-degree programs in music or related musical disciplines. Section 8B3 of their handbook for the 2018 through 2019 year states, Students must acquire a rudimentary capacity to create original or derivative music. It is the prerogative of each institution to develop specific requirements regarding written, electronic, or improvisatory forms and methods. These may include, but are not limited to, the creation of original compositions or improvisations, variations or improvisations on existing materials, experimentation with various sound sources, the imitation of musical styles, and manipulating the common elements in non-traditional ways. Institutional requirements should help students gain a basic understanding of how to work freely and cogently with musical materials in various composition-based activities, particularly those most associated with the major field. The handbook clearly states that students pursuing a baccalaureate degree in music must have the basic ability to improvise and or compose. However, the majority of American institutions of higher music education do not require that these skills be prominently taught in courses for music performance undergraduates, and some do not offer improvisation at all to classical performance majors. This is perhaps because of the sentence in the above-mentioned quote from NASM stating that it is up to the institution to develop these specific requirements. Improvisation requirements for classical performance majors are the exception to the norm, even among the world's top conservatories, such as Juilliard, which is clearly at odds with the above statement from the NASM handbook. Part 3. State of Research The College Music Foundation published a report entitled Transforming Musical Study from Its Foundations, a manifesto for progressive change in the undergraduate preparation of music majors. This was published in 2014 and revised in 2016 that expresses concerns at the failure of colleges to amend their curriculum and practices in order to comply with NASM's criteria. This project took 18 months to complete and included faculty from the music schools of eight major U.S. universities. According to this study, there have been repeated calls for change to ensure that musical curricular content and skill development remain relevant to music outside the academy. The academy, however, has been resistant, remaining isolated and, too frequently, regressive rather than progressive in its approach to undergraduate education. While surface change has occurred to some extent through additive means, that is, simply providing more courses, more requirements, and more elective opportunities, fundamental change, that is, in priorities, values, perspectives, and implementation has not occurred. In this 28-page-long manifesto, improvisation is mentioned over 50 times, with repeated emphasis on the lack of education and instruction, specifically in the area of classical performance. 
In another quote from the manifesto, one of the most startling shortcomings in all of arts education is that too many music students graduate with little to no experience in the essential creative processes of improvisation and composition. The manifesto clearly states that the goal of the task force is not to put improvisation and or composition above the role of musical performance or analysis, but rather to level the two disciplines, since improvisation allows for a level of, quote, intimacy, meaning, and understanding that are not possible when interpretive performance is the lone mode of engagement. Although schools have been slow to adopt these changes, hopefully these issues will receive greater attention in the coming years. If universities do not change, the College of Music Task Force states they run the risk of increasingly lower enrollment, as graduating high schoolers will look elsewhere to receive instruction that provides current and relevant skills that may be applied in the 21st century music industry. Part 4. Historical Overview In order to begin understanding why classical improvisation is so important, one must begin with the history of European instrumental music. The Renaissance, and especially the Baroque period, saw a rise in the commonality of instrumental performance in addition to vocal performance which had dominated most music of the Middle Ages. This rise in the innovation and development of instruments and instrumental performance directly coincided with the prevalence of improvisation. It is during these times that basso continuo and the use of figured bass rose to great prominence. In this compositional method, the bass line is written, with no other notes provided. Instead, numbers or figures beneath the notes give the performer enough information to realize the intended harmony. How these harmonies were played during the Baroque era, and which melodic patterns, ornaments, or embellishments were used, is extensively discussed in musical treatises such as Michael Praetorius's Syntagma Musicum from 1618 and J.A. Herbst's Musica Moderna Pratica from 1653. Many modern performance editions of Baroque works do not show the original figured bass at all, but provide a full, realized score. These are often blandly written and blindly played verbatim by music students who do not understand the historical context of the original works. It is important to note that modern piano renditions of early music works are written down by editors, and not all editions are created equal. Often, the pieces are reduced from their original music scores, and this means that the editors had to make several decisions on what to include and what to leave out. In the case of Basso Continuo, the editors decide to set in stone one specific way to play these figures. In a musical culture which teaches musicians the importance of fidelity to the printed score, it is understandable why most musicians will never question what is on the page in front of them, but a score meticulously crafted by Beethoven versus a score downloaded off the internet from some unknown editor are two items not worthy of comparison, and it is important to know when it is acceptable to alter the printed work. Although Basso Continuo was not employed as prominently in the Classical period as it was in the Baroque, the Classical period still maintained strong ties to the art of improvisation. However, the practice was so common the word improvisation did not exist. Instead, the word fantasien was used, which indicated that something was performed on a whim or flight of fancy, 
and it was assumed that a performer would add their own musical ideas throughout the composition. The Fantasia, based on the word Fantasian, was a freely formed composition that often contrasted virtuosic or rhapsodic elements with more fugal elements. The word improvisation did not exist until the end of the 18th century. Therefore, the fantasias which have become part of the standard repertoire were originally improvisations, which were only later written down on paper. In regards to the fantasia, the English composer and theorist Thomas Morley wrote in 1597, The most principal and chiefest kind of music which is made without a ditty, without lyrics, is the fancy or fantasia. That is when a musician taketh a point at his pleasure, and resteth and turneth it as he list, making either much or little of it, according as shall seem best in his own conceit. In this may more art be shown than in any other music, because the composer is tied to nothing, but that he may add, diminish, and alter at his pleasure. And this kind may bear any allowances whatsoever tolerable in other music, except changing the air and leaving the key, which in fancy may never be suffered. Other things you may use at your pleasure, as binding with discords, quick motions, slow motions, proportions, and what you list. Likewise, this kind of music is, with them who practice instruments of parts, greatest use. In the classical era, it was customary for performers to embellish melodies as well as improvise cadenzas during concerti. Two of the towering compositional figures in classical music, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and Ludwig von Beethoven, were both highly respected for their improvisational skills. Many Mozart cadenzas were not written down, although Beethoven became inclined to write down his cadenzas over time. For example, the first movement of his first piano concerto has three optional cadenzas to pick from, all written by Beethoven. It has become common musicological practice to divide the compositions of Beethoven into early, middle, and late works. The later works continue to push the boundaries of known harmonic and structural elements, and most theorists consider Beethoven's late works to have laid the foundation for what would become the Romantic era of music. This rise in complexity and movement away from a solid and predictable structure is one part of why the Romantic era began to move further away from the previous roots of improvisation. Although the Romantic era experienced an evolution in the length, precision, and specificity of musical direction found within the musical scores, the great composers of this era did not neglect improvisation at first. Chopin, for instance, was widely known for his improvisations, which he based on a wide variety of thematic material, including Polish airs, folk songs, themes from earlier composers, or from divine mass music when he was employed at the Visitech Church. Much has been written on the improvisations of Chopin, but it is interesting to note that even non-musicians were particularly drawn to his improvisations as a key element of his playing. The following quote from poet Heinrich Heine describes not only the quality of his improvisation, but the fact that this was one of the primary aspects of his individuality as a musician. Yes, one can admit that Chopin has a genius in the full sense of the word. He is not only a virtuoso, he is also a poet. He can embody for us all the poesy which lives within his soul. He is a tone poet 
and nothing can be compared to the pleasure which he gives us when he sits at the piano and improvises. Chopin was far from the only Romantic-era pianist slash composer who would improvise in public. Franz Liszt was also renowned for his virtuosic episodes at the keyboard, and many of his works also originated from improvisations. The author Joseph Horowitz states, No less than his contemporaries, Liszt would extemporaneously prelude before pieces, modulating to a new key, setting a new mood and his recitals might climax with improvisations on themes supplied by the audience. A major shift in the general sentiment towards improvisation began to arise during the last half of the 19th century, however. New Grove Dictionary says, The early 19th century witnessed a meteoric rise in the popularity of improvisation, and then its near extinction post-1840. Critics began to criticize the sensationalism, triviality, and superficial nature of the improvisations of many performers. They argued that musical depth was being sacrificed in order to show off technical prowess. The following quote, also from New Grove, further explains the shift in public perception towards improvisation, and in many ways this is the view that is still predominantly held among classical music circles today. Other factors leading to the eradication of public improvisation included the rise of the performer as interpreter, and the divorcing of composition from performance, the concomitant ascendancy of the work concept, itself inimical to the notion of music in flux, so vital to improvisation, and an evolution in musical technique away from base-oriented syntactical structural outlines towards more melodically, generically, or programmatically conceived frameworks which loosened the inner thread that previously had held much extemporized music together. A very dense, complicated quote with a lot of complicated words. But this quote describes the changing role of composition towards the later half of the 19th century. There was an increasing desire for originality of expression, harmony, structure, and melody. Romantic composers such as Anton Bruckner, Gustav Mahler, and Richard Strauss dedicated much of their compositional output to long-form epic works that are well over an hour in length with complex musical themes interwoven throughout the work from start to finish. Richard Wagner is a famous example of a composer whose operas can span several hours in length. Performances of his ring cycle can last over 17 hours long. In such contexts of total artistic ownership by the composer, or what Wagner himself labeled as Gesamtkunstwerk, or total artwork, it is understandable why there was little or no room left for improvisation. Wagner went so far as to design the costumes, sets, and even the very theater in which his works were to be performed. There was to be no margin of error. Many of these sentiments which arose during the Romantic era have continued to be espoused in university education to this day. The role of interpretive playing is taught as the foremost skill of a classical performer, and there is consequently a great fear of playing the wrong notes or of messing up. It should be noted, however, that the viewpoint of absolute fidelity to the score is still relatively new in the broad span of musical history. Given that improvisation has played such an important role throughout the centuries, 
The question remains as to whether or not classical performers should still improvise during concerts, and whether or not musical education institutions should teach the art of improvisation. That's the end of chapter one. In chapter two, I'm going to be talking about various approaches to improvising on stage with examples of performers who still perform and improvise to this day. Later, I'll be going into scientific research, including things like brain scans, which documented the not only the performers, but the audience members, and track the effect of memorized versus improvised music on the human brain. I found it to be pretty fascinating. There's going to be some case studies on ways that improvisation has been implemented. So those will be in upcoming episodes. And I hope to see you on the next episode of Between Movements.